This is Killstreak. believers in voodoo bullshit it's killstreak episode 185 coming live i'm eric goslin joining me here as always mr mike price mike how's this evening going for you uh it's going great eric i'm having the time of my life here oh great i'm um, so happy to hear it it's exactly you. what like, what you said off air that is yeah <laughs> i don't know why i wouldn't say anything different to the audience um why do you guys believe in all that voodoo bullshit, though? That's what I want to know. That's a good question. Yeah. I know who doesn't. That's Childs. That's right. <laughs> uh, we are talking John Carpenter's The Thing today, and boy, are we excited. We uh, did it. We, we forced, did it. We, we crowbarred it into the podcast. Yeah. We were thinking, how could we possibly talk about this movie that only has one direct sequel? And we're like, and we're like oh, wait, it's a remake. We can do it. Yeah. Yeah, in retrospect, it actually makes plenty of sense for us to do. Yeah, it really does. I don't know why we ever thought we could. <laughs> but yeah, we sure did. We sure. I mean, also maybe that was a way of us um, avoiding it because it's like we'll never do it justice. So it's yeah, like, it's like we we would give you such a great episode on the thing, you guys, if we could, but we can't. Yeah, that's kind of what the unsaid thing with all of the, no pun intended, with mm. all of these um, like big shows for us. Like, and I mean yeah. big by like shows about movies that we love yeah, for or like us. that are very yeah. important. Mm-hmm. Um, so we always feel like, oh, we got to, it's got to be the best, which, you know, <laughs> as you guys know, all of our shows are absolutely the yeah. best. We've never phoned one in. I do feel like Jaws was sort of the nadir of this, though, when it was just like, it's so good. What do we say? I don't know. I don't have anything to say. It was like that for like 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully we'll avoid doing some of that today, but we'll see. <laughs> we will see. It, it is a movie we both really love, so. If we were ever going to rehearse an episode, this would be the one. <laughs> yeah, let's just do a run through and then okay. we'll get we'll take notes and then then we'll record the real if it goes well we'll release it and so maybe you guys are hearing the first run through that was just so brilliant we decided to to print it and this is all in the script too so you'll never know (laughs) if we're actually in our first run through or if this is some like third second or third take it's like the audition mr yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) no this is the script um (laughs) I watched things. I watched some stuff. Oh, good, because I did not. Okay, cool. Um, Now, here comes the fun part, which is me mm. seeing if I can remember <laughs> what I watched. See, this is what I do in the show notes, in my uh-huh. notes for, for this week, or, you know, whatever week. I usually write what I've written, so I remember. Oh, man. That it's would a hot be, tip for you. That would be something. Um, but it's not, not what I did. Did we see Killers of the Flower Moon since the last time we recorded? We did. Uh, no, that was it was before, in between, I believe. Yeah, so we did. We did see Flowers of the Killer Moon. 
horror movie. Moons of the Flower Killers. Moons um, of the Killer Flower, spelled F L E O R U. Yeah, we did do that. Wait, O R U? Flower? O R O R U. O R U. Rushmore. One of the best jokes in Rushmore. Yeah. O R U. Nice nurses scrubs guy. They're O R scrubs. What is it? They are O R scrubs. O R they. Oh, That's are they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I remembered. I watched Doctor Sleep. Um, oh yeah. Uh, on a recommendation from Adam. Uh, yeah. Okay. As I say, I, I I was just talking about Doctor yeah. Sleep with somebody. Yeah, it was Adam. He's a he's a big shining head. So when we and he's also not a big horror guy. So when he came to me and he was like, "Hey, I watched Doctor Sleep. It was really good." Mm-hmm. I was like, "Well." I just finished watching Fall of the House of Usher, and I thought that was really good. So I'll check it out. It was pretty good. Yeah, I like Dr. Sleep. It's yeah. interesting. I had not read the book. I um, have read the book. The book is, and the movie's sort of like this, too. Mm-hmm. There's barely any conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah. And by that, I mean there's barely, like, there's never really a time when the villains feel like they have the true upper hand. Yeah. Like, I, at least in my memory of it. Um but it's really interesting. I like, mm-hmm. yeah. Doctor Sleep is like, how do you do a sequel to The Shining? And and I'm, I guess I'm talking about the movie more than the book, but sure. both apply. And it's it's like a really kind of a smart way, which is, it is about those characters. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to spoil anything. I guess. Well, um, yeah. Go ahead. I mean, I would say that like the way that they do it that King does it. Uh, well, I mean the way that Flanagan did it. And I assume it's, is it fairly low? Uh, it's very loyal in my yeah. memory. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's basically like, instead of furthering the story of the shining, yeah, it uses the shining as a piece in a new story. That yes, exactly. Just happens. So thank, yeah. thank you for kind of saying what I was of dancing course. around. But. Yeah. Just happens uh, to have Danny Torrance as, as an adult as as one of the main characters. Yeah. yeah, and his major conflict internally is overcoming his um, you know, his uh uh trauma from the past. Yeah, absolutely. And all that. It's 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 really interesting. Yeah, it is. And um, you know, Mike Flanagan stays winning. Um, I'm honestly, now I'm like, have I ever seen him do anything that I didn't like? I don't know that I have. And also when's the last time you looked at a picture of him and Kate Siegel? Yeah, I know. Cause he's also winning he, in, I, in dude, that respect I as well. I know. I know. I just saw a picture of them on my Instagram. Actually. He's like, I, a, follow, I follow her. I mean, I I'm comfortable saying this cause I am mostly always heaping praise on him, but he's like a. He looks like if our podcast had a significantly less attractive third host, but he would <laughs> he would slot right in with with us. But yeah. he'd be he'd be like uh, he's he's kind of the ugly one. Yeah, absolutely. And she yeah. is very very beautiful. She is very beautiful. Yes. Um, um, good for him. Yeah, good for him. It goes to show you what massive talent, and, and I'm sure he's a great guy. Yeah, uh, can do for you. <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah. he's got a no, monster I... hog too. <laughs> I've never seen. Did he do Oculus two or he like? Did, or is he, it? Yes, he did. Oculus was his first, I think, feature, or it was at least okay, the first, the one that, that put him on the map. 
is the second feature. Um, but Hush was the first thing of his that I saw, which I liked. Same. I like that a lot too. And then um, I I'm behind on his shows, so I got I have to. You gotta catch I up. I basically brother. haven't watched the yeah. three last series he's done. I need to watch Gerald's game. Uh, oh yeah, I never yeah. saw that either. And that's with his wife, right? Uh, no, that's well, she's probably no in Carla. It. That's Carla, Carla Gugino and Bruce Gugino. Greenwood. So the other thing that's cool about Mike Flanagan, this is good for the thing episode, uh, <laughs> is he's he's one of these guys. I would say maybe more so than anybody besides good old Wes Anderson. We just talked about Rushmore. Who is like basically just assembling a stable of actors? Yeah, and he's been doing it long enough now that really what happens is when he makes a new property, it's like he he folds like maybe three new actors in, and then the rest of the cast is pretty much the people that he uses uh, consistently. Um, Carly Gugino being a great example, but also yeah. Bruce Greenwood and Doctor Sleep standing in in a in miraculously in a way that didn't bother me for jack nicholson was was henry thomas from et mm-hmm. is is one of flanagan's main guys so. yeah I, lo- I love when directors do that i mean yeah. it kind of applies to uh the director we're talking about today in in a little in a way it does kurt russell it certainly um, does yeah and oh Keith you know what David. i said yeah. I, I said oculus 2 i meant Ouija Origin of Evil. Oh yeah, he did Ouija, a sequel. Yeah, he did the Ouija sequel, which was solid. Um, yeah, I heard it was good for a PG thirteen horror movie. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, is it Ouija? People, some people, people say Ouija. Some people say Ouija. I've always said Ouija, but I just know, decided I'm... to say the other one. So we covered the bases for people. At home. Yeah, okay. So we saved ourselves. Yeah. If you said Reese's email. Yeah, I would grit my teeth and force myself to choke out Reese's, um, <laughs> which is Reese's people, pieces. Yeah, Reese's is oh, that's a whole other animal. It's a it's a fucking it's a proper name. Their name was yeah. Reese. It wasn't yeah. Reese. <laughs> Jeez, sorry, I'm getting I'm getting upset. <laughs> it's all right. We can move on. Uh, yeah. Anything else you wanted to tackle up topity tippity? top top two no the only thing i watched was uh not horror related is Mm -hmm. we watched the wachowskis bound which Uh, i hadn't seen um i watched it for the first time a couple months ago yeah yeah, and that was a big movie for me when i was in high school um or jerking off (laughs) (laughs) i mean i i partway through it i was like i turned to my wife i was like you understand now why this is like a big movie for me when i was a teenager <laughs> no uh, the movies i really i really enjoy that movie a lot yeah it prompted a discussion on our part where you don't really get a lot of these like heightened genre movies like straight straight up genre mm-hmm. movies anymore it's it's all of this like grim dark realistic yeah. kind of you know so it's yeah. fun to get like this like stylish stylized yeah. thing. Yeah, I think your 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 comments on that led to me spinning out into a 5-minute diatribe about the fallout of of Christopher Nolan's influence on Hollywood. Um, yeah, yeah. Cuz again, and and to be clear, it, his influence, okay? I don't influence. I'm not I'm not complaining about the stuff he makes so much. No, no, I like the stuff he makes. Yeah. But uh, everybody is like, oh, you know why? It's like the Carpenter thing that we talked about a couple weeks ago that we'll talk about some more today. 
But it's like all these people see Christopher Nolan and they see him having this massive success. And they're like, well, it's because everything's so fucking realistic and serious. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, that's just a thing that he likes to do. But it's like yeah. his skill as a director is why his movies are good. <laughs> yeah. Excuse me. Yes. I agree. Um, yeah. Um, all right. You want to move on to the thing? Yeah, I would like to do that. Um, Let's do that. I feel like we'll have a lot to talk about. We will have plenty to talk about. I feel like, let me get a couple things out beforehand, but then maybe sort of similar to what we did with good old Hellraiser Revelations. Um, Maybe we can jump into the blood and guts a little early and then keep talking about. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I think it's probably, you you either have never listened to the podcast Mm -hmm. before or you've never paid attention to the podcast yeah. before. Yeah. Um, yeah. We can do that for yeah. sure. Yeah. And even less so for our takes, which I think will be no surprise to anyone. Just, you know, if we're going to say the whole plot of the movie, we might as well say it pretty close to the top. Um, but I, what I thought I'd talk about a little bit before we get into talking about the thing thing is, is sort of how we ended up here at this movie, considering that last week we were talking about the thing from another world. Um, <clears throat> so, the development of this film started in the 1970s, um, which in a, in a very sort of 2010s, 2020s move, um, a couple producers went to Universal and they said, hey, you should make a remake of uh, The Thing from Another World. Um, they were, before Carpenter even got involved, they were kind of approaching it from the perspective of like, but let's adapt the book. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's, it was more like, Hey, let's do another adaptation of who goes there. Mm -hmm. Uh, that could maybe sit next to the thing from another world. Um, and so, yeah, it bounced around, uh, through most of the second half of the seventies. It landed with Carpenter in 79, I think. Although the first time they approached him was even before Halloween. Uh, it was post Assault on Precinct 13. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, they did not... Uh, it didn't happen then, but the way the way that that ended up happening was because the co-producer of the movie is a guy named Stuart Cohen who went to USC with John Carpenter. Mm-hmm. And so when they were talking about, you know, making this thing, Cohen was always basically saying, hey, you know, we should hire, we should hire my friend. <laughs> My friend mm-hmm. who who I think is a good director, and I think Stuart Cohen was right. Um, but yeah, Universal ended up going with Toby Hooper and Kim Henkel to mm. work on a script, and they didn't like it. Um, so they spent a couple of years developing that, and then it just didn't take off. Uh, and the thing kind of laid dormant until Alien came out and did big box office. Bafo box office. Bafo bio. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> And that was kind of what kickstarted development again. Um, but yeah, it's the, the the script itself is is kind of a more of a uh, faithful adaptation of Who Goes There. Um, um, did you read Who Goes There? I know you were no discussing. I, maybe yeah, I was busy I, watching all the special features and directors. Uh, sorry, commentaries yeah. for the thing this week. I didn't have time to read it either. No. I am so curious. Is it a shapeshifter? 
in who goes there? Yes, it can okay. imitate any living being. Now, right. I don't think that the kinds of special effects that Rob Botine created for the thing that is not part of who goes there. It's oh, it's yeah. it's strictly. I think it's just kind of like it can be anyone. Right. It's more of like a body snatcher situation Mm -hmm. than like, you know, what we see on the screen here, which is like this horrific monster that can. Yes, that's assimilate into Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And I think so. And what really I think appeals to everybody who comes to work on this version of the movie and including the thing that kind of hooked Carpenter in the end is that that setup in the original novella allows for this paranoia and this tension which is uh-huh. just which isn't really part of a, the thing from another world because there's no question that all these other people might be the thing it's like no it's just it's it's this frankenstein-esque monster that's yeah stalking us outside you know and i don't know if i said this on the last episode that was one of the things that surprised me the most mm-hmm. uh, was that the paranoia was not an element of it yeah it's so present in this one yeah and it's the kind of thing that isn't hamstrung by budget necessarily yeah. right and it's also very appropriate for a 50s era yeah um sci-fi movie with like yeah. McCarthyism and all and and communism that mm-hmm. it just seems like that's a no-brainer. I agree. Um but they fucked it up, you know. They fucked it up. They dropped the ball, they shit the bed. They shit and... the bed. <laughs> but it left Oh, can I Yeah. While I'm on the topic of things from last episode, uh, watching it this time around, I never really made the connection, the fire connection because we talked a lot about sure. that crazy fire scenes like yes. oh yeah fire is such a huge presence in this movie that like yeah i ca- kind of didn't even think about when i was watching the other last movie yeah that was a fun thing uh on this watch the fire specifically but also just like a handful of other things that it's like okay now i see where this is sort of coming in in a way as being inspired by the original movie like yeah. i think the the sort of climax underground mm-hmm. um the way that that's being set up with the charges and everything and, and, you know, McCready at the end of this long hallway or kind of tunnel, mm-hmm. I was like, Oh yeah, this is like a nod to the ending of, of oh, the, the first thing. one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what I meant. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, I can't speak to how much, uh, that mimics the end of who goes there, but, uh, but I do know one thing that I do know is that the Blair stuff, uh, and the and like his little spaceship and all of that, like that's part of the book. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. So and the blood samples and the heated wire, that's from the book. Really? Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So there's like a lot of pretty interesting stuff in the novella that made its way into this movie. And so that's kind of what I was getting at last week, where it was like, if you read the synopsis of who goes there, it's it's much closer to this script than the thing from another world. Um, so that's pretty cool, I think. Um, so yeah, uh, as that's so, my contribution. Thank you, I appreciate it, Eric. Uh, it's always good to have you. Um, chime in. Uh, <laughs> the idea that it's nice when you come and chime into the podcast. It's nice sometimes. to hear on your podcast. 
<laughs> you're always you do us it's just such it's so nice of you to be here you're really doing us all a great favor um so uh yeah but pre-production wise um eventually carpenter agrees to start working on the prep and they go to a couple different screenwriters some of whom had been attached or not attached but had taken passes at it earlier um so there was a draft that already existed written by a guy named uh bill lancaster who big time nepo baby was in fact the son of burt lancaster okay um he did a little bit of acting early in his career but eventually he became better known as a screenwriter and his big credit prior to the thing was the bad news bears oh yeah so he wrote that and he also wrote the sequel um and then he wrote the thing and he also wrote an early draft of firestarter um and then he kind of uh stopped doing stuff so much and then he unfortunately passed away pretty young died of a heart attack at 49 oh no um, back in the 90s but he can always you can put on his tombstone was he waxed (laughs) (laughs) no that's actually how he died Um, oh that's his he died from well he refused to get vaccinated until he did and then he died from the vaccine yeah it's a that's i knew it yeah Mm -hmm. uh ernie kovacs was also his father-in-law he married her daughter kippy <laughs> Kippy, Kippy Kovacs. Kovacs. Yeah, that's right. Um wow. Yeah, she was surprisingly even though her name was Kovacs, she was anti-vax, so. Um <laughs> so she's still alive. Yeah, she she would not fold. Um well, he had to get back to work, you know. They forced him into it. Um, I'm kidding. I'm kidding everybody. His religious exemption expired and <laughs> he had to bite the bullet. <laughs> Man, I know. Yeah, I've encountered some people who are a lot more religious than I thought they were. Uh, it's been interesting. Um, I kind of see. All right. I mean, I don't know. Should, should I even say this on the podcast? Oh dear. Uh, Bill Steve. Lancaster looks like shit if he's forty nine in this picture. <laughs> yeah, he's younger. He died at forty nine. Yeah. Yeah. He, he maybe lived hard. He looks kind of like Steve Bannon. <laughs> yeah, he does look like Steve Bannon. Yeah. <laughs> it's not great. Well, he was very handsome as a young man, um, you know, when he appeared in The Big Valley as second boy. (laughs) (laughs) You'll always be my second boy. (laughs) I look forward to having two sons just so I can really put one down with that as often as possible. Um, Okay, so anyways, he had done a draft and, and Carpenter was speaking with different writers and it was the way that Lancaster specifically had written the blood test scene was what made Carpenter want to move forward with him and his draft. And so, so you know, they talked and they did some work and Lancaster does another draft. And then uh, the two of those guys went off to a cabin, actually, I believe, and like started to hammer out like another draft. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's I, I think it's cool to think about we get in not just us on this podcast, but I think just people talking about great movies and stuff. Um, we get a lot of directors who are like, Oh yeah, he's also the writer of the script or whatever. That's, you know, 
auteur, whatever, you know, however you want to kind of think about it. And, mm-hmm. and to me, I get a kick out of knowing how great this movie is and, and also then knowing that, like, a different guy wrote it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's this, it is the confluence of things that makes a movie great. And it's cool that, you know, yeah. so many different I mean, Carp- people contribute. Carpenter had input into it, and I'm sure, but Scorsese does this too, where he doesn't take writing credit on most of his movies, yeah. even though he usually works with the writers sure. to develop mm-hmm. it. Uh, but yeah, it's it's in certainly he's considered an auteur. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we'll talk more on that topic shortly of all the people who kind of came together to make this thing work. Um. So I figured what I'll do, maybe I'll finish talking about um, just like the real pre-pro stuff before we even get into the production of the film. And then we can maybe break there and then we can talk about the movie. Okay. Um, so casting um, was the, the interesting thing about casting. I think like the story that everybody likes to tell the most is that Kurt Russell was the last person cast. Um in the, in the main, what do we mean the main cast? There's only the main cast. I guess there's the Norwegians, but that's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was just involved in the conversation around the movie because he was friends with Carpenter. And so they had been talking about stuff and Kurt Russell had been making recommendations for people. Um, and I think some of the people in the movie were even recommendations from Kurt Russell. Um, but there was just, you know... Uh, Carpenter had been trying to find the right person to do this thing and just couldn't find someone that really fit the part. And the funny thing is, if you if you hear the guys talk about it, it's it's not that he picked Kurt Russell because he's like, you're the only guy that could do this. He did it because he's like, well, I know you're not going to be a pain in my ass. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like, well, I can't find the guy, so I might as well get my buddy who I know will be cooperative and is like, you know, shows up and does good work. Right. It's so funny that Russell wasn't like even really in the consideration considering this is like, this is such an iconic role for him. Yeah, it really is. But, um, you know, it was also one of those things I think where Carpenter went right from escape from New York to start working on this. Somebody else in there. Yeah, so, and I, I, I would suspect that even, like, probably Kurt Russell, you know, was still kind of, to a certain degree, busy with that sort of stuff, doing press junkets and the like, who knows, but I mean, I'm just, you know, spitballing at this point. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the rest of the cast, um, the most recognizable faces, uh, Wilford Brimley, who yeah. apparently just goes by Will. Which makes sense. Oh. Um, Wilford is a weird it's thing to call someone. Yeah. But um, he was pretty unknown at the time. He had been doing the Waltons uh, mm-hmm. and not much else. And he's in his, at this point, everybody likes to talk about the Wilford Brimley cocoon line. Um, yeah. Are you, are you familiar with that, Eric? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, what, how old is he? Uh, and when he was in Cocoon, he was It's only like 50 years 51. and like nine months or something. Like yeah, that. he's like 50 yeah. years old. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <It's insane. laughs> right. He plays this man who's like 
dying of old age in an old you know in a retirement home uh <laughs> and so in this one he was uh 48 47 yeah 47 probably in this oh my movie. god yeah. it's six years from me right now <laughs> yeah now i will say he does look younger than cocoon like he yeah, looks oh, more sure. than three or four years younger here um but he also looks old. Like he does he does look like a middle aged man for sure. Yeah. Um, but um. um but yeah, so you know, he was uh he was cast they you know, it was it, it was seen as an important part. Blair was somebody that they wanted a really good actor for. And uh that's you know what he was. Uh he was good in fact. Um Keith David uh, plays Childs, who, you know, the movie's fun because, yeah, Kurt Russell is is the lead, I think we can say. But beyond that, it's like, you know, Childs is, is uh, Keith David's remembered because he's the only other person who makes it to the final scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you watch the movie and it's like, he doesn't really have much more screen time than anybody else you know no yeah exactly he just leaves a big impression because he's awesome um but you know what not a lot of stinkers in this cast i think um i agree yeah as far as people that are maybe recognizable um i think i think most people would would recognize at least the face of richard masser's a longtime character actor is that Um, gary that no, that's Donald Moffat, who I was going to mention okay, okay. next. Yeah, Richard Masser is the the dogs guy, Clark. Oh yes, yes, yeah. Yes, yes. So he, we've seen him before in uh, the Stephen King's uh, It, the miniseries. He's oh. grown up. He's the guy who offs himself in the first scene. Oh, okay, Stanley Uris. Right. Stan, yeah, he's grown up. Stan. Oh no, Stan's not. It's not who kills himself. Uh, oh, it doesn't matter. Is it Stan? It might be. Yeah, yeah, no, Stan. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, who's the who's the gay one in, in Chapter Two? Uh, that's What's Richie, Richie, and um, uh, it's the guy with the fat mom, right? Yeah, yeah, that's the fat Fuck, mom. Yeah. His, right, I'll look it up. I mean, why am I? Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Masser's done a lot of stuff. Um, one of my favorite roles that he ever played is he's in Risky Business. He plays the guy from Yale who crash who shows up to interview Tom Cruise during his big uh, sex worker party. Oh yeah, and, and Eddie, Eddie Eddie Kaspbrack, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> who is not um, not Richard Masser? <laughs> It's a different character. No, so yeah, Stanley is the one who kills himself. Yeah, yeah um, risky business. That was a movie completely ignored by me until you were like, "No, it's one of my favorite movies of all time." Yeah. So like, well, then I guess I got to watch it. It's awesome. It's a fun movie to recommend to people for that reason because I think it does fly under, especially now that it's like not really part of the zeitgeist at all. Like it was famous at least for like the the underwear dancing, the scene underwear, yeah, and that sort of stuff, but. Yeah, it's just secretly a really good movie. Um, yeah, great, great soundtrack too by Tangerine Dream. Oh fuck yeah! And as soon as you said, "Is like, oh yeah, Tangerine Dream does a soundtrack." I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. this is probably not the movie I think it is. It's a different, yeah. That immediately, it's like, oh, it's a different vibe. Um, yeah, yeah. I would go so far as to say it might be my favorite Tangerine Dream score. 
Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, that's controversial. I don't mean to upset anybody. Uh, but yeah, you mentioned Donald Moffat. He is Gary, um, the guy with the gun. <laughs> he, mm-hmm. he perhaps most famous for playing the president in clear and present danger. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's crooked spoiler. He's got one of those faces and, and those eyebrows, those eyebrows. He has wonderful eyebrows. He's got magical white eyebrows. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, he passed away five or so years ago. At the ripe old age of 87. Oh, um, yeah, good yeah. long run. Yeah. You can't, don't complain. You made it no. to 87. <laughs> Shut up. It does like sort of annoy me when people on Twitter, like when like, you know, a 92 year old yeah. celebrity dies. Like, well, I mean, I'd be a lot sadder if it were, if you were yeah. much younger. <laughs> yeah. I think um, at a certain point we got to look at 92 and say, hey, this was a win. You know, this is, this yeah, is like, yeah. <laughs> Like if you're playing also, deal or no deal with death ages and you get 92, you're like, I'm keeping this briefcase. There's also a family member of mine uh, who I will not mention, who I will not name, although I'm sure they don't listen, um, <laughs> who like every once in a while will be like, you know, so-and-so would have been 106 today. Like, No, he wouldn't have. <laughs> no, they wouldn't have. <laughs> the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> but they'd be the oldest person like, you know yeah so-and-so would have been 120 yeah. today like what mm, yeah wait are no, they from so. are they from like an island uh outside <laughs> okinawa uh, yeah maybe they'd be 106 <laughs> maybe um talking about blue zones folks blue zones. um but I got uh blue zones <laughs> wanting to talk about this movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay let's move it along um yeah the rest of the cast i think i'm trying to remember if there's anybody else that people really would know that's kind of it right um yeah i i i think so i mean most of the people i just know from this movie unless they have like radically different looks in other movies yeah i mean i guess it all just sort of depends the other thing is like a lot of these guys are character actors who went on to you know who are in the midst of solid careers it's just yeah exactly there's there's a way in which the age of this movie has removed most of these people from uh relevance for for anyone other than me and other fellow psychos who are just like, <laughs> you know, even if I don't remember the name, you know, I look at um, what's his face, Norris, and I'm like, oh, yeah, he's in Dante's Peak. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's the one who dies when the uh, the, the suburban goes into the river. <laughs> and, and somebody like uh, yeah. Thomas G. Waits, who plays Windows. Yeah. He just looks so radically different now than he did then. It's like I... Even if I saw him, I don't know, wouldn't even really register, probably. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Windows. Great name. Um, yeah, great name. Yeah. Richard Dysart, again, is a guy who it's like, if it was 1998, people would know him because he was one of the, you know, he was a cast member on L.A. Law, which is mm-hmm. like the biggest show in America at one point, uh, you know, 35 years ago. <laughs> um yeah, but that's, uh, I think, pretty much all I want to talk about. Dick Warlock shows up a number of times. He was the stunt coordinator for the film. Oh, um, yeah. But he's got a couple cameos. He is stands in for Brimley a couple times. He plays the uh, Palmer thing, which is uh, mm. the, um, what's the, on the, tied to the couch, right? Everybody. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. That's so fucking beautiful. <laughs> when his, like, face is, like, melting. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, that's the only time we see, yeah, we see some of that wax business. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, let's uh, let's leave it there. Let's, uh, why don't we take a break and we'll come back to it. Okay. 100,000 years ago, it found its way into our galaxy. Trapped in the frozen wasteland of Antarctica, it could not escape. Now the men of Station 4 have made a monumental discovery. An alien creature had frozen, but not to death. And man... It isn't Benning! ...is the warmest place to hide. In Antarctica, in Antarctica, well, that is hard to say, in, in Antarctica. Ant- Antarctica. In Antarctica. In Antarctica. In Antarctica. A Norwegian helicopter pursues a sled dog to an American research station. The Americans witness the passenger accidentally blow up the helicopter and himself. The pilot fires in a rifle. Sh- the pilot fires a rifle and shouts at the Americans. But they cannot understand him, and he is shot dead in self-defense by Station Commander Gary. The American helicopter pilot R.J. McCready and Dr. Copper leave to investigate the Norwegian base. Along the charred, Among the charred ruins and frozen corpses, they find the burnt corpses of a malformed humanoid, which they transfer to the American station. Their biologist, Blair, autopsies the remains and finds a normal set of human organs. Clark kennels the sled dog, and it soon metamorphosizes and absorbs several of the station dogs. This disturbance alerts the team, and Childs uses a flamethrower to incinerate the creature. Blair autopsies the dog thing and surmises it is an organism that can perfectly imitate other life forms. Data recovered from the Norwegian base leads the Americans to a large eva- uh, excavation site containing a partially buried alien spacecraft, which Norris estimates has been buried for over 100,000 years, in a smaller human-sized dig site. Blair grows paranoid after running a computer simulation that indicates the creature could assimilate all life on Earth in a matter of years. The group implements controls to reduce the risk of assimilation. The remains of the malformed humanoid assimilate in isolated Bennings, but Windows interrupts the process, and McCready burns the Bennings thing. The team also imprisons Blair in a tool shed after he sabotages all the vehicles, kills the remaining sled dogs, and destroys the radio to prevent escape. Copper suggests testing for infection by comparing the crew's blood against uncontaminated blood 
<clears throat> held in storage. But after learning the blood stores have been destroyed, the men lose faith in Gary's leadership, and McCready takes command. He, Windows, and Nalls find Fuchs' burnt corpse and surmise he committed suicide to avoid assimilation. Windows returns to base while McCready and Nalls investigate McCready's shack. During their return, Nalls abandons McCready in a snowstorm, believing he has been assimilated after finding his torn clothes in the shack. The team debates whether to allow McCready inside, but he breaks in and holds the group at bay with dynamite. During the encounter, Norris appears to suffer a heart attack. As Copper attempts to defibrillate Norris, his chest transforms into a large mouth and bites off Copper's arms, killing him. McCready incinerates the Norris thing, but its head detaches and attempts to escape before also being burnt. McCready hypothesizes that the Norris thing demonstrated that every part of the thing is an individual life form with its own survival instinct. He proposes testing blood samples from each survivor with a heated piece of wire and has each man restrained, but is forced to kill Clark as he lunges at McCready with a scalpel. Everyone passes the test except Palmer, whose blood recoils from the heat. Exposed, the Palmer thing transforms, breaks free of its bonds, and infects windows, forcing McCready to incinerate them both. Childs is left on guard while the others go to test Blair, but they find that he has escaped and has been using vehicle components to assemble a small flying saucer, which they destroy. Upon their return, Childs is missing, and the power generator is destroyed, leaving the men without heat. McCready speculates that, with no escape left, the Thing intends to return to hibernation until a rescue team arrives. McCready, Gary, and Nalls agree that the Thing cannot be allowed to escape and set explosives to destroy the station, but the Blair Thing kills Gary and Nalls disappears. The Blair Thing transforms into an enormous creature and breaks the detonator, but McCready triggers the explosives with a stick of dynamite, destroying the station. While McCready sits by the burning remnants, Childs returns, claiming he got lost in the storm while pursuing Blair. Exhausted and slowly freezing to death, they acknowledge the futility of their distrust and share a bottle of scotch whiskey. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Specified, not just scotch, scotch whiskey. J&B scotch whiskey. Yeah, J&B. I've never had J&B, I don't think. If I, I don't have, think I have either. Yeah, if I have, I don't remember. That's like, that's like guy. old man scotch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, any scotch that's like cheap, I feel like. Yeah. People generally don't buy that, right? No, yeah. I think my grandfather liked G&B. Okay. Uh, anyway, that is the uh, plot synopsis for The Thing. Blood and guts check. Um, Mike, why don't, you, uh, why don't you go first? Cool. I can go first. No, no, it's fine. It's just, it's fine. I'm not upset. Just, uh... Do you want to go second? That's fine. No, nah, I don't care. What do you want to do? What do you, I mean, you wanted me to go first, right? You said, yeah, go first. Mike, why don't you go first? That's usually yeah, what we well, do. Yeah, that's fine. It's fine, Eric. Are you sure? Yeah, it's good. All right, I mean, because you this... seem like chilly about it. No, it's good this way. This is a good way to do it. Oh, okay. Um, but it wasn't the way you were visualizing in your head. I don't know. I was just caught off guard. You know, I wasn't ready. I was, I was, you weren't ready. I was lulled by your, uh, <laughs> my dulcet tones. Yeah, exactly. Your description of the movie. I just kind of felt, you know, yeah, you're just reliving your those scenes. Yeah. Uh, the thing, 
is when I was younger, not even that much younger, like within the last five years, I still like, I like to make lists. We started this podcast and we were like, part of what we liked about it was like ranking things and making lists. Yeah. This all started because of a train ride we were on where you were talking Mm. about your favorite list, your lists of favorite different categories of movies. And that's sort of spawned this. I forgot about that. Yeah. That's cool. No, it's fun. This is the most, that was the most notable thing I said on that train ride, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I won't repeat what you, what what else you said. I didn't say anything else. That was it. Um, Don't worry guys. It wasn't, um, you know, like racist or anything. No, 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 Um, no, it was not. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, It was just private. It was private as all. Okay. So I guess I should talk about the thing. Um, It's difficult to say best, right? Especially when we're talking about, like, just the best movie, right? Mm -hmm. What's the best movie or what's your favorite movie? Uh, And when we had this discussion, Eric, I think I told you I had made this list where it was uh, almost the premise was it was structured like a video store where there was, like, a top ten. Yes. In In each specific genre because I felt that it was too difficult to really rank the best movies against them each other, right? Mm-hmm. But because um, if you're talking about like best action movie versus best horror movie versus best comedy, like comedy especially, like how do you rate comedies versus dramas? It's a very different animal. Um, this movie, for quite some time, has been atop my list if we consider this science fiction, which I think some people do, um, it was on top of that list. It was my number one favorite science fiction movie ever. It was also on the top of my horror movie list. And this is a podcast about horror movies, so that's probably germane to the conversation. Mm-hmm. There is nothing about watching this movie three times in the last week that made me think that it in any way should be lowered from its position as my favorite horror movie ever made yeah um it's the best movie it's so good (laughs) uh i look forward to talking about the specific reasons why it's good but i think i just think that yeah i think that there's nothing there's i don't know what you would do differently like i don't know what anybody would do to improve this movie uh and I really mean that. I think about everything involved and everything that went into the making of this movie. And it's like, uh, there's nothing. There's not There's not a hair astray. Yeah. I think I wrote down two things. Okay. Small qualms. But, um, so I was going to save this for my final wrap up. But since you've started <laughs> to broach the topic, um, I've declared that Dawn of the Dead may be my favorite movie. Mm-hmm. of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do recognize that is not a perfect movie, but it's sure. my most loved movie. It's very special. It's very special to me. Um see if you can square this in your head. Okay. Dawn of the Dead may be my fa- one of my favorite movies and you know, mm-hmm. sometimes it shifts mm-hmm. one two. The thing might be well, I'd say no, the thing is my favorite horror movie. Mhm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. 
kind of, I mean, I can see how those would be different things, yeah. even though Dawn of the Dead is also a horror movie. Because yeah. Dawn of the Dead is a horror movie, but to me, it's less horrific than The Thing. Mm-hmm. To me, Dawn of the mm-hmm. Dead is more exciting and... It's, it's almost fun. It's yeah. fun, exactly. The yeah. Thing is, in my opinion, the greatest horror movie ever made. And I'm just saying that. <laughs> I'm saying that right now. <laughs> sure. Yeah, um, it's real, real good. It, um, it exists. Go ahead. This is a thought I had, and I wrote it down so I didn't forget. It was made in this perfect time. And mm-hmm. we can get into the critical reception of this. The critical mm-hmm. reception of this, notwithstanding, if this movie was made five years before, mm-hmm. the special effects couldn't have been what they are. Yeah. If this movie was made mm, eight years later, mm-hmm. there'd be CG. You know, mm-hmm. and then we'd start to get into this stupid, uncanny valley shit. Mm-hmm. So now it being made in eighty two, you know, you know, somewhere in this like you know five year range, yeah, where there was such a premium put on s- practical special effects in horror movies, it it was like it's, it's this perfect product of its time. Yeah, and it's also, you know, it's special in that context too like even existing under these really good circumstances that you're talking about there's a bunch of stuff about how this movie was made that still elevates it even more is what causes what what gets it to that top of the mountain mm-hmm. so you know you mentioned money on special effects so the the movie was originally budgeted for 10 million over the course of the shoot it eventually got up to 12.4 and then you know marketing and that sort of stuff brought it home at around 15 million dollars when they greenlit the movie with a with a 10 million dollar budget the the designated budget for creature effects was $200,000, which was maybe the most money that any, that really any, you know, at least horror movie mm-hmm. had ever had. Now, it did not finish with a budget of $200,000 for creature effects. Sure. Rob Bottin, who was 23. Holy shit. At the time, um, maybe 22 when he started working on it. Um, he, he, he spearheaded the whole thing. They, they brought in at one point, Stan Winston came in to do a little work. There was a, uh, stop motion, like a really famous stop motion guy came in to do some stuff. Albert Whitlock, who was one of the most renowned map painters ever did a bunch of map paintings, but it's, it's, it's Botine's show. That budget for special effects went up to $1.5 million. Oh, my God. They spent more than a tenth of the movie's budget on creature effects. Wow. And this is worth every goddamn penny. Yeah, it really is. So the one thing where there's, like, no need to hem and haw is this is the best special effects movie ever made. Yeah. Like, if we're talking about, you know, you could talk about, I should be more specific, horror 
horror this special horror special effects movie. You know, you can make arguments for things like Jurassic Park and that sort of thing, which is a different right, or like, you, you know, know. Like an Avatar or something like that. But that's that's right. This different. This is a different thing yes. I'm talking about. This is the apex of practical creature effects. This is as good as it ever got. Yeah. Um, and there are some other movies that are pretty great from the eighties. I've talked about the blob before, mm-hmm. um, you know, other things that Rob Bottin worked on some of the stuff that Savini did, but this is, I think without a doubt, the best, just the best creature effects I've ever seen in anything. It's not really close. Yeah. It's something it's, it's like a complete reinvention of what you could do. Yeah. Um, something that I was going to talk about, and I'll turn it over to you after this, but um, in the pre-production stuff, so Botine had worked a little bit on The Fog with Carpenter, um, and he brought him over to work on this, and he, he basically pitched him on this idea of the thing could look like anything, including things from other planets, because it's just like, well, anything that it's ever come into contact with Mm -hmm. you know etc and carpenter was like this sounds crazy but he sent him to go work with universal's storyboard guy and they sat together for like two weeks and just drew up drawings and brought them back to carpenter and he was like okay can you do this (laughs) do you know how to do this and botine's response was basically like "Eh, i could figure it out you know and that's how we got this um Go ahead. What, were you, what, what did you want to add about this stuff? I was going to say, <clears throat> in addition to what you are saying, which I agree with completely, it's also wrapped up in a really great horror story. It's mm-hmm. it, And it's a sharp, funny, mm-hmm. tense, scary script. Um, yeah. So it's just this perfect storm of things. You don't often get that. You know, mm-hmm. I love we love Reanimator on this podcast the special effects are great. It just story wise, it's very different. It's Mm -hmm. it's a little bit apples and oranges, but in terms of a scary horror movie, uh, it can't hold a candle to this movie. And it's like, it's so rare. You get this like perfect storm of things. Alien might be a close, a close alien uh, is comparison. I think is actually a really good comparison point in terms of story because, I think, um, you know, and this is this is this is what Carpenter brings more so than anybody is his ability to walk this very very fine line of being uh, too simple, too straightforward, mm-hmm. and but then also being sort of. You know, it's so easy to fall onto the other side of that where where you just have too much exposition, things feel sloppy, loose, it's overstuffed. It's like, you know, and, and that even happened to him, you know, later in his career. Mm-hmm. It didn't take that long. Um, but this is this is really Carpenter, who's one of the, the best to ever do it at the height of his powers. And then, you know, I'll st- Deal. This is this is not an original idea. This is something that's been said by a number of different people, but there is this sort of working theory. This is his first studio movie, mm. right? 
this is the first time that he got a significant budget from a movie studio. And it's probably the last time that he had almost total creative control within that system. So it's not the money so much as it is, and he talks about this a ton in the special features, in interviews, in making of, it's the people. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, he... An easy example of this is, like, he scores all his own movies. He's great. He's an incredible musician. I love his music. I've gone to see him play in concert. He's got some of the most epic scores, uh, you know, of all time. But that's bandwidth. That's something that takes his time and his focus and his energy. And so what does he do here? He gets to bring in Ennio Morricone. Yeah. Right? One of the great, you know... uh, (coughs) composers movie composers of you know the three decades prior to this and but it's it it's this thing where it's like it still works in service of of carpenter's vision and his goals right because it's like it's it sounds different in some ways from his other scores but it's undeniably the score to a john carpenter movie right right and he worked a little bit on it you know morricone basically that they, for a bunch of reasons, including a little bit of budget, never was able to finish in a way where it's like just, you know, wire to wire music for the entire movie. He had done lots of stuff, recorded lots of tracks. Um, So Carpenter basically took it, brought it home, right? He mm-hmm. added a little bit of like connective tissue and a little synth here and there, but like he said, I mean, it's more Coney's score. He just kind of like did a final pass on it. Right? Yeah, I think what you're getting, you, you what you're getting to is like now he finally has access to people at the top of their game to mm-hmm. work alongside him and, and realize yeah. his vision. Yeah, his pro, his production designer was like this guy is a f- absolute fucking pro. Um, and this is universal. It's a huge studio and he basically just has at his disposal, all of the best people that universal has to offer in a time when the studio studios were still robust. Uh Right. Yep. And they have these people on contract and stuff. So like I said, Whitlock, the map painter, it's just like this. Basically, it's like if you were like, okay, who is the best person we could get for map paintings? It's this guy that works at Universal and is just like, yeah, he's going to do it. Right. The same with Morricone. Now, Dean Cundy, that's Carpenter's guy. They had been working together since Halloween. But Dean Cundy, not long after this, became probably the highest grossing cinematographer of all time. Right. He goes to work for Zemeckis and then eventually starts working with Cameron. We mentioned Jurassic Park before. That's a Dean Cundy movie. Yeah. Right. Back to the future. All this stuff. And with the special effects to kind of tie this back in every interview with Carpenter, he basically says the reason the special effects are so great is 50 percent Rob Bottin. And just his sort of creativity, his genius, the boldness that he was willing to kind of tackle this with. The other 50% is Kundi, because the guy knows how to shoot this stuff. Yeah. 
He knows how to light it. There's so much thought that went into, you know, but the, the funny story that Cundy likes to tell is that Botine always wanted less light. He, yeah, yeah, he was, yeah. He was sort of uh, not so confident about the way the stuff looked on camera. So he'd be like, no, like darker, make it darker. Right. And so Cundy's the guy who's like, no, we need to be able to see it. Yeah. But we'll figure out a way to light it so it doesn't just look like this, you know, foam rubber thing in the middle of a room. Um, this is a quick aside. Did you know that Gene Siskel pushed hard to uh, have James Woods nominated for a Best Actor Academy Award for his performance in John Carpenter's Vampires? <laughs> no. Isn't that wild? I, re- I read that. In the It's in the that book i was talking about last opposable thumbs so fucking weird that's so weird it's like because they do every year they did like a if we pick the winners sort of a show and he was like very emphatically (laughs) james woods james woods and in vampires best actor of the year incredible (laughs) that's wild um and so rob botine's uh it's not just gross out either although it is very gross it's got to be probably the most disturbing thing most people had ever seen when it came out. oh yeah and you get small glimpses like when the thing is morphing and like when they find the charred corpse at the norwegian site and Mm. it's like this like twisted malformed body yeah just getting little glimpses of that thing and they show you quite a bit of it it's horrifying yeah Yeah. or like when the dog monster skull Mm -hmm. gets revealed like you don't even know what you're looking at and it's so disgusting and disturbing and scary. It's like this Lovecraftian thing where it's indescribable. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. Um, all right. So Beth's deaths. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, you want to talk about the characters a little bit? You want to talk yeah, about, yeah. uh, the acting oh, and, and the characters in the story before we get to that. Yeah. This is something Whatever Jess said, do, and maybe. I was thinking the same thing as it was happening. Mm-hmm. I never remember. I've seen this movie so many times. I never remember that opening shot of the UFO crash it's landing. It's pretty funny. Yeah. It's pretty funny, and it's like it just. I maybe it's just you know selective memory. Yeah. I don't really want to remember it, but it's before the title. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, and it doesn't look bad or no, anything, no, no, no. but it is. It's a different kind of vibe than the rest of the movie. Yeah, I think. for sure. But it is a little bit, I mean, I get how it's a thing where it's like, if you don't know this movie inside out, if you're seeing this movie for the first time, like it is, it's expository. It helps. It tells you a little something. Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the acting. Um, the person who has stood out to me more and more mm. the more I watch it is Wilfred Brimley. He's incredible. He's so good. That one yeah. shot. It's my favorite, one of my favorite shots in the movie, mm-hmm. when he when McCready's checking in on him, and the fucking it's one of the noose. funniest. It's, it's one of the funniest so, bits in the movie. Yeah, yeah, it's so funny. The news hanging there. He's like, I I want to get out of here, McCready. <laughs> like, yeah, it's so good. What does he say? I'm fine now. All yeah, right? I'm, fine I'm fine now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> with just this noose taking up half the frame. <laughs> it's incredible. But yeah, everything that he does, like. All his business with, because I forgot how much he gets to do with the sort of autopsying. Yes, yeah. Right? Um, And when he takes apart the dog thing, right? And there's literally, 
like he's doing full on like alien autopsy on Fox stuff, yeah. right? Where it's like, you know, he takes a scalpel and cuts open this huge thing and pulls it open and it's all goopy. Everything's so goopy and Very slimy. Goopy. It's so important, you guys. Yeah. You want you want to make things cool, got to make them slimy. Names, got to make them slimy. Uh his facials during that too. So <laughs> he's great. a little and a little noise. He's a little a little ugh. Oh. ugh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but then he gets his freak out um such a great scene and yeah but that stuff with him pretty much once he gets sent out to the shack all his business in the shack when mccready takes him out for the first time and then when he comes back to visit him it's just like it's some of the best stuff in the movie yeah and even though you don't get like rich backstories for all of the mm-hmm. guys they all leave a really big impression on you there's something really special about this where it's like they are characters mm-hmm. and you feel like you kind of know them, but you learn everything you're going to learn about them in the most naturalistic kind of ways possible, right? Like the closest we get to like a real character development, a scene that just exists for that sort of stuff is is McCready playing chess at yeah. the beginning of the movie, right? It's the only scene in the whole movie where this scene is just to inform us about this character. Yeah. Everything else, it kind of comes gradually. It comes in the middle of the business. It yeah. comes during, you know. There's never the... like a moment where someone's like, you know, like in Escape in New York. We're like, mm-hmm. Pliskin, you did this thing and then this thing happened. Yeah. It's like, no, everything is just in the moment and you're, yeah. you're left to, to make your own impressions. Yeah, nobody starts talking about their girl back home and yeah. then pauses and looks wistfully into the distance. And, McCready, when your wife died and you signed up to be here yeah. in Antarctica, like, yeah, it's nothing like <laughs> yeah. that. Nothing. But, you know, there's other movies that do that, and it's it can be easy for those movies to feel then thin, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't care about these characters. Why should I be invested in this at all? And I think part of that is a triumph of the casting. Like yeah. you mentioned Windows before. It's just a guy I don't know anything else he's ever been in, right? Yeah. But he's like so memorable. The second he comes on screen, I'm like, oh, yeah, Windows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Uh, he's just got this character down. And so to, <laughs> before I – I, I want to kick it back over to you again in a second. But before, I want to circle back to this perfect storm thing, which is – Part of the reason for this, we've talked about this before on this very podcast. Um, the, I want to say, I'm looking it up just to make sure that I have the numbers just right. Carpenter says it was maybe a couple, it was like more than a year of prep for the movie, right? I watched a thing um, in some uh, in a behind the scenes doc where it's like, you know, they had to scout where they were going to put this lab. Right. So it's basically like they did the set, the exterior sets that they built were in British Columbia. Um, then the stuff where they're actually out in the snow, that's in Juneau, Alaska. Okay. And then everything else interiors is a lot of the interiors are on the lot. Right. Uh, They did a handful of interiors at the set in BC, but 
they started building that set six months before shooting. Wow. Because it was the, they wanted to do it in the middle of summer. So we build the whole set. It's there. And then it snows. And then it looks the way it's supposed to look. But it's like they didn't want to do construction in the middle of winter. So, But just to imagine something like that for a John Carpenter movie where it's like, yeah, we are out building sets half a year before principal photography begins. Yeah, right? that's a, I mean, it's a gamble. Those it is things fall apart in pre-pro all the time. Yeah. So what I, what I was looking for, and I think it is kind of it's usually this is the number when you hear about this sort of thing. But this is so late in Holly in the in the age of Hollywood for this to happen, and for for this to happen on a Carpenter movie, two weeks of rehearsals, hmm. just those guys and Carpenter and Lancaster for two straight weeks just working this stuff out and you know again it's when you it's funny because you think about a play or a musical and it's like well that's that's nothing but it's like i don't think people understand especially these days like they usually don't do rehearsals no you rehearse before you roll yeah like like a day of rehearsals is a luxury at this point yeah yeah so to spend two weeks just working this stuff out, it's like, well, no wonder these characters feel lived in. These guys have been living in these characters for half a month, you know, before the camera ever rolls. Do you want to hear my one minor gripe? Let's hear it. <laughs> I thought you had two. Um, okay, yeah, I sort of have two. The second one's less important. This one's okay. not important either. Okay, uh, let's hear it. The simulation that Blair runs, and then the on-screen text <laughs> that's like, chance that the crew is infected 75 (laughs) percent you know how how soon until it takes over the world matter of weeks whatever the fuck it says Mm -hmm. uh that's very silly i understand why they're doing it to get that information across it could have been a line of dialogue like i've run the calculations mccready this could you know yeah it's very silly. i think i think that scene though i like is really tense and and I think it works because it's just him. Uh-huh. Like, like if it was a conversation between two guys, it's just a very different vibe because it's I it feels necessary too because because Blair needs to go nuts. He needs to be the only one who knows who like understands the gravity of the situation. Yeah, right. You know, it's and, uh, and, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. It, it yeah. It's it's an unrealistic simulation. Yes, but it's one of the only things that doesn't feel believable in the movie yeah. outside of like the alien. That's sort of my point. Yeah. yeah. I just, it's the one, it's one of the few things mm. and yes. even the aliens, like, you know, you're, you, you're, you can suspend your disbelief. Yeah. We don't know what fucking aliens look like. Maybe they do look like that. Right. The other thing. Um, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. The other thing. Uh, and it's always sort of bothered me is the quickness with which Blair constructs his little UFO in his like underground lair. But um uh, that's also like, well, it's an alien. It's an alien. Yeah. I think that's the first thing. I also think that there's there's an unclear passage of time. In yeah, this movie. sure. Um I don't find it to be a flaw. It doesn't bother me at all, but I will say that watching the the um, 
commentary with Carpenter and Russell. Carpenter a couple times just talks, refers to time passing. And and it's like, oh, there's like way more time passes than you than you are than like you think, clearly yeah. shown, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's days that are going by in the middle of all the action that we well, see. Well, then that makes sense. Um, yeah. And like I said, these are minor, minor, minor things for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any gripes with the movie? Like, you know. Um, do I have any gripes with the movie? I think. I mean, I'm I'm hard pressed to think of any scenes that don't work. Here's what I'll say. I think the movie. Um. The ending ending is incredible. The final mm-hmm. scene with Kurt Russell and Keith David is like one of the most memorable final scenes of any horror movie ever. It's fantastic. Yeah. Right. The blood test, which is about 75% of the way through the movie. Yeah. One of the greatest scenes ever. It's great. In any, in it's anything. Ever. Wonderful. The climactic stuff that comes in between the blood test and that sort of nihilistic ending is all very good. And I like it a lot, but it's not the high point of the movie. So I guess my only thing would just be like, you know, we have this huge climax and then it kind of like, and it is almost like, you know, that's a traditional structure with like a denouement and that sort of Mm -hmm. stuff. But, but I do think that if there was a way to balance out some of the excitement or of of the of the blood test scene and add some of that or infuse some of that energy into them getting ready to blow the whole place up i think i think mm-hmm. it loses the tiniest bit of steam um in those last like 10 minutes um so you brought up the blood the blood test scene wonderful the mm-hmm. uh the spider head scene also wonderful yeah a couple lesser referred to moments that i absolutely love is Mm -hmm. when um i believe it's bennings turns and it's incomplete and he runs out into the the snow and his hands are all long and crazy Mm -hmm. and he starts to make that crit that like noise whatever that noise is and they torch him that to me Mm -hmm. is one of the scarier parts of the movie uh, it's terrifying. Yeah. It's so scary and, and unsettling. I love it. I also love um, that time jump from when McCready and Nalls and I can't remember who else go out. And then Nalls comes back and he's like, I cut McCready loose. Uh, yeah. Because yeah, I found this thing. That, that to me is always, I love that part. I mm-hmm. love that time jump. It's disorienting in a really fun way. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, and it's, what's going on with McCready? You know. And it's exactly that kind of leanness, you know, that we're talking about where it's like we don't we don't have the scene where Nalls finds McCready's shirt. And we don't have the scene where Nalls is super nervous and he cuts McCready loose and goes running, right? Yeah. It's like we just get told this stuff and and it's fine because this movie is tight. It's tight as a drum. Yep. And it's not missing that stuff. And those things are just like there's 
there are things that are part of a normal plot and a normal script that I think that are just a, a little superfluous. And mm-hmm. Carpenter is so good at just carving that stuff, not down to the bone, but just like as lean as you can make it so that there's no fat, right? There's nothing, there's no fat on it, but it's got sus, it's got substance still. Yeah. yeah. You know, I would love to go through these set pieces quickly, but there's just so many incredible moments within these things that, and there's so much going on with these creature effects mm-hmm. and reactions by the guys, just these wonderful little moments in, in every big scene. Right. Mm-hmm. But like the dog stuff, yeah, um, dog Richard yeah. Masser as Clark is like just turning in this incredible performance where he maybe has five or six like real lines to deliver. Yeah. But you know, how how well does he just sell this like he's a weirdo. He's the he likes the dogs. He doesn't really care about the people that much, you know? Mm-hmm. That's his whole thing. And we don't have a talk about that or anything. It's just at one point, you know, McCready points a flamethrower at one of the dogs that isn't dead yet and he, you know, tackles him and you know, Pulls the the flamethrower away. Mm-hmm. Um, I also want to shout out that dog, the 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 the, the um, Jed Jed. Yeah, <laughs> what a creepy dog act performance. Yeah, it's, it's cool. half wolf. Oh, cool. Half yeah, half wolf, half dog. I mean, Carpenter talks about the dog like it's like possessed. He's like it's the best acting animal I've ever seen in yeah, anything. It really is. Like it's it's yeah. so cool and like there's creepy. a yeah. There's a tracking shot when the dog ends up in the room of an unidentified guy. Yeah. Right? Where it like is walking down a hallway and it stops and it looks in one room and then it keeps walking yeah. and it stops and it looks down the hallway and then it starts going again and the, gets to the, the sh- door and yeah, the shadow turns to look at it and it fades out. It's wonderful. Like those, tr- yeah, there's a it, lot of great tracking shots too of like the empty there are location. Yeah. So I've probably said this before on the podcast, but Dean Cundy is my favorite cinematographer. Yeah. Um, and this movie is a great sort of piece if you want to know why I like him so much. Um. There are so many scenes in this movie that are lit by flares. Yeah. Do you know how difficult that is to do and to make it look good? It looks beautiful in this movie. Yeah. Um just the some of the stuff that he does, the blue light on in the exteriors, like they went and they pulled these these landing lights from an airport. Hmm. They're these big, you know, that's what lights a runway. Um and he put, he put those things all over the place. And yeah, the way that he handles darkness and light, right? It's like, to me, his use of contrast in lighting is, this should be the model that, that people try to follow. Mm-hmm. And not coincidentally, like this style of shooting is not what people are doing these days. No, no. Um, 
there's just a great like just a simple example of of what I'm talking about is there is um, a shot right towards the end when McCready has finished setting up the dynamite and he hears a noise at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're behind him and we're looking down the tunnel and then we go to the reverse and it's a wide shot. And. <clears throat> Basically, it's like a, you know, it's a frame within a frame. So it's like the mouth of the tunnel. Everything outside the mouth of the tunnel is black. We're inside the tunnel. It's pure black. McCready is purely silhouette. Mm -hmm. You cannot make out anything. He is black. But you have this crazy cave behind him that's lit with all these little lights. He's got places. He's got fires going and flares. And then McCready steps forward and takes a few steps and then he walks into his light. Mm-hmm. So it's we have this thing where where you get pure black and then the same character all of a the sudden then we light his face in a way that feels believable but cinematic and then we get to see his expression and it's just like these are things that you just don't see that much anymore. The idea of letting just letting a guy become pure silhouette is like it's like anathema to to modern day cinematographers i don't fucking get it um they move so much faster now probably yeah i mean the cuts and the the yeah i want to hear some of your takes let's move on to the next big set piece so after the dog metamorphosis then we get bennings right Mm -hmm. which you talked about yep um and that stuff is is great because that's so this is all of the like haunted house type shit where because it's what it's windows and copper right because it's basically they have like the dog thing is on the slab and the slime starts to drip off of it and yes yeah. you know we realize it's still alive and then that's how how bennings gets gets hit um after bennings is Oh, which I, one? I mean, yeah. Hold on, sorry. I should help yeah. you with this. No, it's okay. <laughs> oh, uh, sorry. We didn't talk about this, but the the blood icicles on the dead Norwegian is so cool. <laughs> um, yeah, Bennings. Yeah, Bennings gets that's like that tentacle wrapped around him. Fuchs is killed off screen. Um, yeah. Oh, the, we get the heart attack. Yeah. So it's the dot. It's 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 Copper and Norris next. Yeah. So this is <laughs> I mean is this like the most memorable single moment in the movie the the defibrillator Yeah I I think so Yeah it's the first time you see it it's completely shocking you're not it, yeah it takes you by surprise <laughs> yeah. So for anybody who somehow weirdly has not watched this movie, you're truly a fucking psycho at this point. You're yes. a degenerate. Stop listening to the podcast. Figure out what's wrong with you. Um, his his getting defibrillated and then his whole chest just splits open and mm-hmm. becomes this gaping mouth with huge sharp teeth. And I mean, it's 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 so great because it's so it feels so logical in a way like it's like he's defibrillating 
And then the chest opens up as he goes to push the paddle. So, of course, his hands fall in. Fall forward, yeah. Forward. And then he gets both his forearms bitten off. They did this with a double amputee stuntman. Oh, wow. And Botine made, you know, latex arms. And it was full of, like, red jello and fake chalk bones and a (laughs) bunch of rubber veins. And so the the arms get bitten and he pulls away. He pulls away and that's what finishes severing the arms. So we see all this shit like snapping mm-hmm. and it's just incredible. And this is just the beginning of this scene. Yeah, because this is where all hell really breaks loose for the first yes. time. Like crazy mm-hmm. shit's been happening, like the dogs. This is when things really have ratcheted up a, a notch. Yes. Um. <laughs> So what the head starts to detach, right? Yeah, so then it's like the whole thing explodes out of his chest. Oh, and reaches we get up. this Yes. And we get this crazy wide shot where it's it's like the mutated head of Norris at the end of like it's like it's almost like a worm-like creature but it's got all these crazy appendages and stuff. And then they torch it, but yes, then the head gets loose. Right. So, but not the head that they torched. Norris's actual head. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. detaches at the neck and falls onto the floor. It slides on, like goops down onto the floor. Yes. And yeah. then it grows spider legs. Well, first, no, oh. first it, it grows a long tongue and whips oh, right. its yes. tongue yeah, yeah, yeah. It, right, around the, tongue the leg of a table. It pulls itself forward. And then, yes. The severed head grows flesh-colored spider legs. And then we get this just hilarious shot followed by what might be my favorite line in the whole movie. Oh, first the um, eyes pop out on stocks, too. So yes, like, yes, like, like eye crab. stocks. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, it's kind of half crab, half spider. Yeah, yeah I guess it's more crab. Um, and then we get this shot of all the guys, like... Fucking around with the fire, putting the fire out, doing, doing like kind of recovering from all this craziness. And then just in the background of the shot, <laughs> we see the crab spider thing out of focus. Like, like, do, 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 do. Yeah, just like yeah, exactly. Chilling. It's like almost goofy, you know, heading towards the door. And then the line I'm talking about. So then we get Palmer, the stoner mechanic. Is the is the first one to notice it. He's facing the opposite direction. And his delivery on that, and it's just like because this movie is not going for laughs most of the time, we get a couple of these moments and they hit so hard where he just goes, You gotta be fucking kidding. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. He sees this thing, and yeah, you gotta be fucking kidding. And t- imagining what it would be like to be an audience member in 1982. Yeah. To see this. Like, you would say the same thing. You have to be kidding. You've gotta be fucking kidding me. Um, And then I guess our last big set piece before the climax is the blood sample test. Which is just the greatest scene. It's so yeah. good and tense. The editing is incredible. I noticed that this time. Yeah, yeah. There are these cuts when guys end up being safe. 
Yes. And then just these hard cuts to they're, like, they're okay, suddenly so now... next to McCready. Yes. And it's funny. It's, yeah. it's, it's like uh-huh. very funny. Um, yeah. And then once all hell breaks loose with that, that's another incredible special effects piece where, uh, is it Palmer who uh, starts to, yes. his face like starts to melt. His mm-hmm. eyes start to bug out of his head. And then yeah. like, what is like the creature kind of like propels itself onto the ceiling. It's like a bunch of tentacles too, right? Yeah, it's like, yeah. Like flapping around and stuff. Yes, and then it flies up to the ceiling. Is it the? Does his face open like a flower? I, I'm so, misremembering yes. something. So the tentacles are flying. He's flailing. There's blood everywhere. <laughs> People are tied gotta, up next to him. Yes, and fucking <laughs> childs. Yes, childs and um, what's his name? <laughs> Gary are tied next to him and they're both like they're trying to get away from it's him as so much as they can even cool. though they're tied up with ropes and and the whole thing goes up on its end and it's all it, it's just total chaos yes and then so windows tries to torch it but he gets freaked out and then the thing drops from back down from the ceiling mm-hmm. and as windows is frozen looking at it then yes its head splits open like a flower blooming but there are big teeth inside. Yeah. And then it chomps Windows' whole fucking head. Yeah. And it picks him up off the ground by the head. And he's just like gushing blood. Yes. It's oh crazy. My God. It's so good. It's so good. And then and then they finish, you know. And then they but so this is the thing. The way that Carpenter did this. So one, it's like they talked about this in, in an interview where it's like, you know, you would normally have like, it's the rule of threes. You have one guy gets tested. He's fine. Second guy gets tested. He's fine. Third guy. But it's like, that's not how they do it. It's like they do third guy. Then they do fourth guy. Then they have like things really calm down for a second. Yeah. And then, you know, McCready not expecting anything. He's like in the middle of conversation and he goes to, to burn Palmer's blood, and that's when all this shit starts, right? Yeah, and then they test more guys after that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> after this is over, Childs and Gary are still tied to the couch, yeah. and he tests them too. Yeah, um, it's incredible. Uh, also, another like low key part that I love is uh-huh. when Blair attacks Palmer. Not, uh, not Palmer. I'm sorry, uh, Gary, and his yeah. fingers kind of like go into his face. Like, yeah it's great gross and cool and it's just a really simple latex you know bit i mean i'm sure it was very complicated to make but like the conception of it is is very straightforward yeah and it's just like that to me the variety in the effects in this movie are just absolutely it floors me mm-hmm. and not coincidentally you know poteen got so far behind schedule on this it was like you know, it was a tricky shoot all told and, you know, the cold and everything like nobody. It was hard for everybody. But I think at a certain point, Botin was like just running three weeks behind schedule on everything. Jesus. So they're just they would they uh, Carpenter said that they like they stopped having him bring stuff to the set and they would just go to his shop and like dress the shop for shots because it's like, you know, as soon as something was done, it's like, okay, we're going to go to Botine's shop. We're going to shoot this next wow. effect. Um, so I'm not as familiar with Botine's other work. What mm. other what other movies, notable movies, has... So the big thing that he's coming off of 
is the howling. Ah, right. Um, which has that great transformation. Right. Yes. Um, a really or, long one too. Or is I'm trying to remember. Was he howling or is he American Werewolf? No, I think isn't that Stan Winston? Yeah, he is the howling. But Stan Winston, he worked with Stan Winston. He Stan Winston was like kind of a mentor mm-hmm. in some ways, and that's part of why Stan Winston came in uh, and did some extra stuff when Botine was busy doing some other shit. Also, Rob Botine, born in El Monte, oh. just uh, two blocks south of me. El Monte's um, own. He's, he's still around, right? Yeah, he's 64. Okay, good. He's also crazy tall. He's like six foot four. Oh. Um, he worked on, he worked with Verhoeven. Uh, so, Robocop, Total Recall. Oh, God, great. Yeah, that's Botine. Right. Awesome. There's some his his stuff is like it's anytime you can think of something and your thought isn't like oh it's so gross or it's so realistic it's like oh my god that's so crazy yeah yeah <laughs> the yeah the thing he the, that that special effect was crazy then there's a good chance it was Rob Bottin yeah because it's like gross in interesting ways in mm-hmm. super specific ways um I'm looking through my notes. I'm sure we could. I mean, I'm not trying to wrap this up at all, but I do want to That's talk fine. about the ending. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I had a small note that McCready is constantly drunk through this whole thing. <laughs> he's yeah, he's he, just like drinking all the time. Oh yeah, and I, like literally, it wasn't until this is so embarrassing for me to admit, but like this, the first of my three viewings this week was the first time that I put together that like all the chess stuff is out in his shack. It's not part of the main camp. I don't think I put that together either. Yeah, he's he's the loner, right? So right. he's got his shack and everybody else stays in, you know, in the same place. Um but that's just, you know, just these little details where it's like, yeah, McCready, he's always drunk uh and he pretty much wants to be on his own. Mm-hmm. Um and he's like that he is that very specific hero who is just like thrust into it and does, but he's not, you know, he's not like magnanimous about it. He's just like, fine, fuck it. I'll do this. And, and then immediately he's at odds with everybody else, you know? So I want to talk about the ending. I read Mm -hmm. last night. I I was just like going through, um, like some Reddit posts, people discussing the ending and some theories i have my own theory Mm -hmm. i want to hear your theory but first i want to run two by you okay one is that childs is i think in both cases childs is the thing in their uh their theories and one of them doesn't make any sense to me okay it's that when mccready hands him the bottle of scotch Mm -hmm. um that there's actually gasoline Inside yeah, I heard the, this one. the bottle of scotch. So they were making all these Molotov cocktails. They're making Molotov earlier. cocktails, yeah. yeah. And so uh Childs takes a swig, McCready knows it's gasoline, Childs doesn't yeah. react, and then that's why McCready starts laughing. Yeah. This one I've heard this feels very much like PhD reading too much into a thing kind of BS. Yes. I agree. Um, it it's just like there's not enough evidence. It yes. doesn't like 
clearly no one thought that. Like, maybe it's a fun idea you had that could be plausible. But... If that were the case, I think there would be a shot of him pouring gasoline into a J&B bottle. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one leap too many to make. The second one, okay, st- stick with me for this. I'm going to try to do this okay. as best for my memory. There's okay. a shot of Childs when uh, McCready and company go out and Childs is left alone. Mm-hmm. Where there's two blue parkas hanging up. Okay. And then there's another shot later when we're kind of going through the facility and Childs is mm-hmm. gone. Um, and I think there's no more blue parkas or there's one blue parka or something suggesting that one blue parka got destroyed because the thing got to Childs. And then so he put uh-huh. another parka on. This one I think is ridiculous. And I there's no way there's that <laughs> level of attention to detail. This is a continuity no. error. No. Yeah. Uh I agree. I agree with you. Um there is an answer I think. Okay. And, um and and it has to do with the PlayStation 2 video game which Carpenter <laughs> says right. is canon. Yeah. Yeah, he did. So before we get into that, I want to know mm-hmm. what do you think happens at the end and I'll tell you what I think. Well, I think I mean, this is this is sort of a little bit of a cop out because I've listened to him talk about it quite a bit. Oh, okay, well, so I know what he would say. Well, maybe um, maybe then I'll say since yours is coming I'll, from the horse's mouth. But go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, but I'll say for myself, until I knew all of what Carpenter had to say about it, that my position on this for the last ten years, for as long as I can remember, people talking about it, is basically like, you don't know. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to know. That's what makes this so good. Yeah. Right? This whole ending that it's like, we don't know if either one of these guys is the thing or not. But the only thing that's logical is assuming that one of them is the thing or is not a thing, is human. It's like, well, we're just going to die here. That's that's how we do this. Yeah. Right? It's the only safe way to approach this. And to me, that's like this pursuit of like, which one is the thing? It's like, you're completely missing the point that makes the scene not as good. Mm -hmm. It makes the ending worse. If you know the nature of either one of these guys, what makes it so great is that you don't know. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of, that was always my feeling on it. My feeling on it is I think they're both human. Mm -hmm. I don't think either one of them is a thing. Mm-hmm. And also, I'll amend that with, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, what yeah. I mean? like it doesn't really matter which if mm-hmm. one's a thing or one's not the thing. Um. So, what did Carpenter say? Well, so Carpenter said, basically, excuse me, I made a movie, I made a short film over the summer that that had a question mark in it you know, similar to this. I mean, it was a very different situation, but it was open-ended, right? Mm -hmm. You've seen this. Mm -hmm. Um, It's called The Pitch. I'll release it to people at some point. Um, It's no, it's not the thing. It's not as good as this movie. But my dad saw it. Were you expecting me to be like, no, no, it is as good as as the thing. (laughs) No, I was expecting you to look up, (laughs) make eye contact with me. I was listening. While I talked about you seeing the movie. Um, no, so my dad saw the movie 
and he I'm immediately doodling. <laughs> oh, that's pretty cool. Um, it was a good doodle. Um, we got out of the screening, and he was like, "So, which is it? Like, which is did this happen or did that happen?" And I was like, "It's." supposed to be it's up it's up for interpretation he's like yeah but you made it like which one is it and i was like yeah i made it i decided to leave it up for interpretation that's how i made it i made it to be unclear um and that's essentially what carpenter did Mm -hmm. right that's he even talks about and sometimes it's like a little it feels like a little bit of a letdown when you hear the discussion but then you realize that the finished product is exactly what it should be but it's like they had all these conversations on set about like, if you're the thing, do you know you're the thing, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and they didn't answer that question. That you know, was left up for interpretation. And that's something I thought about too during the blood test scene, where I, because a lot of the guys are stressed when it's happening, and they're like, oh, phew. Because I think that there is a part of it where they don't know they're the thing, or they're not right. sure if yeah, this that exact question, um, which yeah. is very cool. Yeah, but as far as, you know, the way Carpenter shot it and set it up, and I know that this PS2, I've heard him talking about the PS2 thing, and he's like, yeah, it's that's an addition, right? This mm-hmm. The PS2 thing is not a reveal of his intentions. Mm-hmm. It's just like, it's, it's added on by other people, but he does consider it canon because he loves video games. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he, he, you know, he did not, he did not have a decision. It was not, I mean, he does say in one interview with Mick Garris that he knows, but he's never going to tell anybody. <laughs> but that feels very much to me like John Carpenter fucking with people. Yeah. So in the so game, we'll- I never finished the game. I liked the game. I got into like, basically, this is back in the era where if you, you could get fucked on a save. <laughs> and I got fucked on a save where like, I uh-huh. there's no way I could survive this encounter. I didn't have enough ammo. Mm-hmm. And I was just stuck there. Um, yeah. But in the game, Childs f- is frozen to death. He's dead. And mm-hmm. McCready is alive. And I think he gets rescued. And I believe he's human. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's what I heard. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, I mean, it's just you got to think about why Why would you want to know? Or, or, I mean, I understand wanting to know. Everybody always wants to know. But, like, w- would it? be satisfying it if you change. knew that yeah, exactly. one of them was because to me it takes <laughs> away from the statement of it you know mm-hmm. i guess maybe people want to i think they want mccready to not be the thing because we spent yeah. so much time with him mm-hmm. um but yeah all right let's talk about deaths in the movie shall we shall we let's okay we, we got a norwegian who gets blown up Oh, next to his helicopter, and then another one shot to death through the eye. There's a dead Norwegian in the uh, Norwegian's base with his throat slashed and the blood's all coming down in icicles. Uh, a bunch of dogs get all fucked up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Trigger warning. If dog's dying, yeah. makes you upset. This is a very upsetting scene. A lot of dogs. My, my dog, as soon as this movie started, Rosie, she doesn't usually react to animals uh-huh. on the screen. But I think it's because the dog's running on a white background of the snow. She immediately like, uh-huh. stared at the screen. It's interesting. interesting. Uh, Bennings gets uh, like kind of assimilated by like these crazy ass tentacles, and then he gets burned to death outside. That's the death I talked about with his hands all mm-hmm. fucked up. Fuchs gets burned off screen. So Norris has a heart attack, but it's really the thing. 
And uh, then Dr. Copper gets his arms bitten off by that. Uh, McCready shoots Clark because Clark tries to attack him with a scalpel. Mm-hmm. Um, the Clark blood... was human. Clark was way. human. Yep. Yeah. That is kind of a heartbreaking reveal. Yeah. The blood test monster. So that's a, who's that? Palmer? Palmer gets, you know, turns into mm-hmm. that crazy ass blood, blood test monster. And then chomps Windows head, kills him. Blair sticks his hand right into the face of Gary. And then Nalls gets taken out off screen mm-hmm. right before the big finale. And then we have McCready and Childs awaiting their fate, whatever that may be. But it's probably them freezing to death slowly. Yeah. Do we consider the explosion of the Blair thing to also be oh, sure, a yeah. kill? Yeah, yeah, I guess I didn't write that down. But yes, I would consider that. Yeah, because we haven't really talked about that ending at all. And there's not too much to talk about other than... It's the biggest thing we see. Yeah. Uh, it bursts out of the ground under underground and and it's pretty fucked up and it, it's huge. It's really mm-hmm. huge. And it like combines like there's a dog head and there's some eyeballs on it. Yeah. And, yeah. It's yeah. Like all the things we've seen thus far. Right. Combine into one. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something, by the way, that the Carpenter had to go to the, the like a student to the execs and beg them for an extra hundred thousand dollars to finish that. It may be a letdown without it, right? Like, that yeah. Heightening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really hard to pick a favorite death in this movie. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. I guess for me, it has to be. I w- let's extend it more because we do this sometimes. Let's mm-hmm. extend it more to sequences, right? Like, okay. it's, it's sure. It's not just a single death. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's going to have to be for me. God. If you have an answer, jump in because I'm torn Norris. between two. What's yeah. that? Norris. Norris. For me. Yeah. The hand I chop. Mean, yeah. Because yeah, it also yeah, feels, yeah, it yeah. feels like a cheat because to me, it's like, well, it's the hand chomp and it's the head. Yes. Right. So if those are part of the same, then that's, that's the, that's the one. Yeah. Me. So that, I was between that one and the blood test. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'll just say the blood test for the sake of, of yeah. mixing it up. But those two are just. Yeah, blood test is like a more exciting like it's a better scene overall but yeah i think the, yeah i think the effects work in the norris scene is the best but also like not to sell short the dog sequence is super fucked up mm-hmm. and it's and it comes out of nowhere it's like like you said you've seen this sort of like sculpture-esque thing they found at the norwegian uh camp but like if you're watching this movie for the first time you're 20 minutes in and this is the first, like, v- active, you know, alien appearance in the movie. And it's like this dog sprouts long whip-like tentacles, and then its head splits open yeah. four ways. Like, a f- like str- you know, Demi-Gorgon, Stranger Things. Yeah, it's yeah. this. That's where they got it. And it from. spits at stuff at the dog. <laughs> it's like, sprays yes. the dog. <laughs> yeah, dog having a really bad time. Carpenter's like, you know, the Humane Society was on set. Blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, <laughs> the dog should... chewing the fence, too, trying to get out. It's, it's, yeah. Oh, man. It's brutal. Yeah. Um, severed thumbs up or down. Is this movie gory? Yeah. Yes. Fuck yeah. It's really gory. <laughs> it's one of the goriest movies we've ever covered. Yeah. Um, ghost thumbs up or down. Mike, is this movie scary? Eric. This movie is very scary. Um, and that's something that we haven't really talked about. 
a ton up to this point, but I think I'll kind of carry some of these thoughts into my conclusion too, but it's like the nihilism of this movie. Yeah. Um, it's the first of what Carpenter himself refers to as his apocalypse trilogy, mm-hmm. along with Prince of Darkness and In the Mouth of Madness. And mm-hmm. it's like, that stuff is scary. The end of the world is scary. Even as, even that's the stuff that stays scary even when you're an adult, right? It's just like, oh yeah, that would be pretty terrifying. Um, and like paranoia is such a real kind of fear. Like, it's a relatable fear, right? To not trust anybody. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, all of those things, I think, make it such a scary movie. I completely agree. Uh, I've been meaning to rewatch Prince of Darkness. I put it on my Halloween list, and I didn't watch it this year. But, hey, I'll throw it on soon. I like that movie. I've only seen it, like, once, though. It, it, it it's was... real, it's, I think it's real fun. It's, you know, it's it's approach it more like, vibes with a little with some story yeah you know yeah. that's that's the way to go into that one yeah. yeah all right finally chain um chain drain, drain as in drain your balls <laughs> or your or glands or your, or your vag your badge yeah. drain your badge <laughs> it's not pee Fuck. <laughs> uh or champagne as in pop champagne bottles because you're getting married mm-hmm um i'm having a hard time putting into words i mean i've i feel like we've already said so much gushing about this movie yeah i've i've declared it my favorite horror movie of all time (laughs) there's kind of no question i'm giving this thing a a champagne yeah um it's a special special movie we didn't talk about the critical reception of this this movie was not a critical or box office success no, it was a box office break even. So it wasn't a flop, but it certainly didn't do particularly well. It was critically reviled. Yeah. And the things these people have to say, I mean, it's shocking. It's shocking to read it because it doesn't make any fucking sense. It doesn't. It's like, what movie were you watching? Yeah. It's really, 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 really surprising how... how... And this movie yeah. sort of, I mean, really didn't break John Carpenter fully, but it was part of the things that really ended up turning yeah. him away from wanting to it make movies changed the trajectory of his career you yeah. know this was a big studio opportunity he wouldn't really get this much studio backing to make a movie again until memoirs of an invisible man and that didn't go well no um yeah but a lot of i think and i've heard other people say this too is i think People were, I think critics were so jarred by the effects work in this movie that I think that they responded negatively mm-hmm. because it was so overwhelming. Yeah, I mean, that's um, kind of the only explanation, right? Just like really, they're just disgusted by what they're seeing. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, listen, listen to this shit. These are, these are quotes from some of the major reviews quintessential moron movie of the 80s oh my god instant junk uh boring um this person says it lacked drama by sacrificing everything at the altar of gore right it's just insanity yeah and i'm glad it's got critically reassessed it's now a classic people love it i love it it's a champagne for me Okay. 
Yeah, I think um, I've seen this movie so many times that it is one of those movies that I've had the opportunity to sort of evaluate or pay attention to specific stuff. And, and that's a lot of what sort of led me to my really effusive praise at the beginning and my sort of confidence in the idea that this might be my favorite movie ever made because the cinematography is incredible. It's done by my favorite cinematographer. The directing couldn't be sharper. And it's one of my favorite directors ever. The cast is incredible. Kurt Russell is one of my favorite movie stars. He's such a great lead. Um, But every other guy in this is good down to the last man. There are no bad actors in this cast they all do their thing and they do it fast and efficiently it has the greatest special effects of any movie i've ever seen uh it's one of the scariest most nihilistic movies which is cool frankly there's something very cool about john carpenter nihilism the ending is so cool um the writing the script is incredible um wilford brimley will brimley brings Uh. it um like i said you know i said okay there's a little dip in energy whatever it's no one is ever gonna make anything like this again i'm not saying no one will ever make a better movie than this but like you were saying eric there the circumstances that allowed this movie to be made the way it was made like this was lightning in a bottle and Unfortunately, you know, the way that the industry has changed, the way the technology has changed, there it's it's hard to imagine we'll ever see anything like this again. And so that makes me love it all the more. Uh this is a champagne and a drain. <laughs> <laughs> all built into one. Um oh yeah. And an incredible poster by Drew Struzan, like one of the great poster guys of all time. That he made in 24 hours with almost no information about the movie, which is why it's just a guy in a huge parka with blinding light coming out of his where his face should be. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's now time. I am evoking. I am invoking. Invoke it. The Murderer's Row. Okay. Killstreak Murderer's Row. This is a list of our 10, the 10 greatest movies we've ever covered on the podcast i'm looking here at the the graveyard movies Mm -hmm. that we've removed uh have been replaced and those include night of the living dead halloween 3 phantasm friday 13th part 2 what friday that got removed yeah i guess Uh it did and for some reason saving private ryan where the fuck did that come from Is that a joke? I don't know. I thought you put that in there. I did not put that there. <laughs> I guess I was having a laugh. I guess we um, can check the the um the uh you know revisions list. Uh I yeah. have a pitch for this. Okay. In this um you know. Oh, sorry. First off, here's what the list comprises of. Sure. Alien. Dawn of the Dead. Evil Dead 2. John Carpenter's Halloween. Jaws, Reanimator, Return of the Living Dead, Scream, The Shining, and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm-hmm. Two things jumped out to me. I'm going to say yeah. the more controversial one first. 
Okay. Since this is a John Carpenter movie, mm-hmm. I don't know that we have any doubles up on directors on this list. I would propose losing Halloween and putting the mm-hmm. thing in its place. Okay. Alternately, I don't know why I'm thinking this. Mm-hmm. Return of the Living Dead. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I like that. I think I think for the purposes of our specific podcast, it must stay. Yeah, okay. I'm yeah, I'm not gonna fight you on that. I agree. Okay. I love it. Yeah. I'm looking at the list and I don't wanna say what my next one on the chopping block would be because it'll probably have to use it at some point in the future. Um but I do Will think we? we're running out of good movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a couple good series. Left. I'm just kidding. I was, I mean, honestly, I was looking at the list and I was like, of course we're going to put the thing on. But then I was kind of say, asking myself, should Hellraiser be on instead of some of these movies? But then I think, I think the confusion about Hellraiser versus Hellraiser two is sort of like, well, it's a vote split, right? Yeah. <laughs> like the Oscars. Yeah. Like if it was just one movie, it might have a chance, but um Well, we did say we were going to discuss that after Hellraiser 2, but we never did. We did. Um But it's only gonna get harder because the thing is gonna get a spot first. Yes. Right. So we're already kicking one movie off. And I, I'm with you. I think I think it's almost like a cop out, but in a good way that we can lean on to make our lives easier, which is to just continue to enforce a one movie per director rule. Yeah. Uh, because we did lose Night of the Living Dead as soon as Dawn of the Dead came along. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's I think that's the only way to go. Halloween, okay. we love you. You're the best of all the slashers. Yes. But but Thing is better than the best slasher. I agree. All right. There you have it. We'll come back very shortly. For you, it'll be nothing at all. Uh, and we'll do a third segment. One of us might be the thing. I don't know. Okay, we're back. I have devised a third segment for us for tonight. Um, And this is because we didn't think of anything better. Mm. And we were tasked. I I threw it to Mike. Hey, if you have anything better. If not, we're going to do (laughs) Keith It Straight. This is in honor of David Keith. Who is in this movie? Keith no, David. Keith David. Well, here Keith we go. David is in this movie. I didn't even Keith it straight. <laughs> didn't make it through. Keith David is in this movie. So, Mike, what's about to happen to you? Mm-hmm. I have a list of 
characters in movies that the actor Keith David has been in. Yeah. I also have a list of actors in movies, TV shows that actor David Keith has been in. Mm-hmm. So, Mike, I am going to give you a role in a movie, and within okay. five seconds, what? you have to give me. Okay. Yeah, I'm putting a time okay. limit on you. All right. Um, you have to give me if it's portrayed by Keith David or David Keith. Now, okay. there was I was going to say, <laughs> I'm not going to do this. I think it'd be too hard. But I was going to say, so if it's if it's Keith David, you have to say David because his last name is David. If it's David <laughs> Keith, you have to say Keith. <laughs> but I'm not going to do that. You get to, you can say the full name. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. Now, I'm, I'm going to hold up my fingers and count down. Okay. And oh, the prize. Mm-hmm. There's 20 <laughs> questions here. Wow. You need 16 okay. to win. 16? 16 to win. That's crazy. Yeah, we'll see. Um, and if you don't win, if you lose, you have to come up with a third segment the next time we have to do one. <laughs> I can only get four out of 20 wrong. I mean, that's you're a failing grade. I, I, I worked it out with Jess, who's a teacher. That that it, no, it's not. I mean, all right. That's like a B. That's like a no. C it's plus. a C. It's a, It's like a it's C plus. A C plus. So yeah. it's right on the. I mean, but she's like C plus isn't great. Okay, you fine. Son of a bitch. Fourteen. Okay, I accept. Fourteen to win. Okay. Series. You're, you said bitch, and your Siri responded. I know what you have your Siri set to. <laughs> what? Did I say it? Did I say that word? Yeah, you said you son of a bitch, I think. Okay. Anyway, okay. Here we go. Ready? Yes. Five ready. seconds on the clock. Okay. Mary's dad in There's Something About Mary. Keith David. Correct. General Kimsey in Armageddon. Keith David. Correct. Andrew McGee in Firestarter. David Keith. Correct. This is actually easier than I thought. I yeah, didn't realize I made I it a little movie title too. Yes. No, no. Okay, cool. But I still want my fourteen. Frederick Douglass in The North Star. <laughs> Keith David. Correct. You almost <laughs> waited too long on that one. Charlie Fitzpatrick in Heritage Falls. Uh, David Keith. Correct. Evan Caldwell in CSI Miami. David Keith. Ooh, right there. A buzzer beater. Got it. Sergeant Cantrell in The Quick and the Dead. uh, Keith David. Okay. Correct. (laughs) This one I only only included because of the name. Yonk Allen in The Class. Uh, David Keith. Correct. Wow. Kupaka from the Cloud Atlas. Uh, Keith David. Correct. Man, you're lighting it up. <laughs> I love my Keiths and my Davids. Roger in Reality Bites. David Keith. Ooh, incorrect. Okay. It is Keith David. Also, you're starting your countdown before you've finished saying the title, the name, I think. You, 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 I'm stressed. Oh, I thought I thought I was I thought I was waiting until I was done speaking. Okay. But maybe I'm not. Okay. All right. 
Elvis Presley, Heartbreak Hotel. <laughs> David Keith. Correct. <laughs> Squint Westward in Ernest Goes to School. David Keith. Correct. Squint Westward. <laughs> Frederick Douglass again in God in America. <laughs> Keith David. Yeah. Sheriff Steve Jonta in Come Away Home. David Keith. Correct. Sid Worley in An Officer and a Gentleman. David Keith. Correct. Ernie Bass in Roadhouse. Keith David. Correct. I mean, it looks to me like... I'm going to be doing the third segment. <laughs> Boone, an Indian in the cupboard. Uh, David Keith. Correct. I'm still waiting for Major League Two. <laughs> uh, oh, I, I, I will. I almost, I almost put it on there. I did not. Though. Damn. Sorry. Okay. Frank from They Live. Keith David. Cliff Eagleton in Walker, Texas Ranger, and Martial Law. I'll go with David Keith. Yeah. Cliff Eagleton doesn't sound like a Keith David character. No. And then finally, Big Tim. From <laughs> Requiem for a Dream. Sorry. <laughs> I started counting down before I finished. Keith David. <laughs> yes. All right. Yeah, you blazed it. You only got one wrong, man. So Wow. Okay. Thank goodness you were able to Keith it straight. <laughs> what I will do that again sometime. Oh, I know what I won. I that's right. I, I win not having to do the next segment. Yeah. So Okay. I guess I'll get. I'll. I'll, I'll we're we're gonna do rankings for a third segment next yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. You don't need one for a couple of weeks. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, speaking of next week, we are going to be covering 2011's. I think it's just called Thing. Is, Is it right there? Let me look that up. I, I, I think it's the thing. Okay. That yeah. might be right. Uh, and that is streaming in the same place that you watched um this one. Uh, yeah, it is the thing. You're right. Um, but no, it's on Tubi. That's where I watched. I watched this on Tubi. <laughs> Wait, you watched Carpenter's The Thing on I Tubi? Did. I did. Yeah, because I I uh, dug out my Blu-ray and it's just like a 1080p. It's not like anything. And I was like, well, I have to also hook up my Blu-ray player, which I didn't feel. So like you chose it, so. to watch it with commercials? <laughs> I didn't want to pay for it. I own it. <laughs> But you didn't, you won't watch the one you own. <laughs> I know. Well, why would I pay for it? You're a psycho. I've seen it before. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. It looks like the thing might also be on AMC+. Plus. Who has that? It I says Tubi is SD. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, all right. If it's SD, I might still watch it on Tubi. We'll see. <laughs> I've also seen it before, so yeah, you folks at home can make up your own minds. Oh, uh, if it, if it looks like shit, then I'll 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 rent it. But okay, I've seen it before. I know what I'm getting into. Yeah. Uh, social media, you know, you know where we are. Killshakepod mm-hmm. at gmail dot com at Killshakepod yeah. on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I feel bad plugging a podcast I was on where I forgot to plug our own podcast. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> I was on a podcast called Seize the Moment where I'm talking about wrestlers. 
um, which you should check out. Uh, I think, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it make any fucking sense in it. Um, but I, at the beginning, they do mention Killstreak. And they when, mentioned it. When it's time to do my plugs, I instead plugged the Netflix show I'm currently on, which will surely get its own. <laughs> and I forgot to plug Killstreak. And then immediately after, I was like, oh, fuck. I forgot to plug my podcast. Like, oh, we'll put it in the show notes. So, Oh, my goodness. Sowie. <laughs> Netflix will appreciate the help. Though. Yeah, Netflix will appreciate the help for a show <laughs> that comes out in like eight months or something. <laughs> Fuckers. I'm an asshole. I suck, man. We uh, are one shot and I fucking blew it. It's over now. It is embedded We're not even, in the podcast yeah. notes and on the YouTube page. It's We're not even YouTube doing show. Nightmare on Elm Street. We're done after that. <laughs> We're done. All right. And as always, I don't know what... And as always, <laughs> I don't know what the hell that is in there, but it's weird and pissed off.